You're listening to the Ascension Roundtable podcast, your go-to podcast for Catholic ministry shop talk. Episode 10. If you work in Catholic ministry, chances are you are going to work with people who are undergoing some sort of serious psychological suffering. And there may be times where you feel completely unqualified to work with those people, but you want to help them. This episode is a segment we pulled out of our interview with Dr. Greg Bataro, and he addresses some of these issues. He assures us that as Catholic ministry professionals, we still have a role to play in ministering to people in the midst of this suffering, but we can also look for help in other places as well. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Our last episode, we talked to Dr. Greg Bataro about mindfulness in ministry. This week is going to be part two of our interview with Dr. Greg, ministering to people in the midst of their suffering. So before we get started, let me just introduce Dr. Greg again. Dr. Greg is a Catholic clinical psychologist practicing in Connecticut. He received his doctorate in clinical psychology from the Institute for the Psychological Sciences, which is a graduate school in Arlington, Virginia. It integrates Catholic philosophy and theology with sound, empirically validated psychology. Say that three times fast. He founded the Catholic Psych Institute, and before finishing his degree, get this, Dr. Greg discerned a religious vocation. He spent four years in the Bronx serving with the community of the Franciscan Friars of Renewal, serving the poor in the tradition of St. Francis. Ultimately, though, he discerned that he was called to married life and now lives with his family in Connecticut, serving those who undergo various forms of psychological suffering. One of his most recent projects is the Catholic Mindfulness Program, which you can find at catholicmindfulness.com. He's got a great course there for anyone looking to grow in their spiritual and emotional lives. As always, I want to remind you that we want to hear from you. Whether you have questions for us, whether you have a problem you want us to troubleshoot, you just want to leave us feedback or, or whatever, please leave us a comment in the show notes. You can find us at ascensionpresents.com slash podcasts, or you can email us at ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com. So we're going to pick up now with where Tom is asking Dr. Greg a question about helping others to forgive. Hey, thanks, Alan. Yeah, Dr. Greg, I mean, this has been something that's been on my heart that I've been wanting to talk with you about for some time now. You know, during the year of mercy, um, I was invited to various dioceses and conferences to speak on uh, mercy and forgiveness, especially in the in the family uh, and, and also in divorce and that sort of thing. And um, so one of the things I was really speaking on was um, how to forgive and others and what happens in us when we don't forgive. And we all get... Uh, there's a lot of talks about the sacrament of forgiveness, but what about the person that just can't forgive? My wife and I see that a lot in in, in um, our preparation for marriage. We've prepared many couples for marriage and um, do talks on marriage. Um, but um, we often see people who who have an inability to forgive. So one of the ministries that my wife and I have are is prayer healing. We'll take a couple through a process of of prayer healing, which is many hours, as much as 30 hours over uh, let's say six months, you take them as a couple through a type of prayer healing going internally. And Dr. Greg, what we see probably, I'd say 10 times out of 10, when we're taking them through a process of prayer healing, there's a forg- aspect of unforgiveness, either un- the inability to forgive themselves or to forgive somebody else. And they get stuck somewhere in that process. Um, so what I wanted to ask you is, do you see uh, the effects in people uh, w- when they have this inability to forgive, and, and what might they be? 
Oh, absolutely. I think that's huge. And it's, uh, it's awesome that your experience really correlates with and resonates with, you know, sort of the more abstract principles here. But I think, um, the, the, the inability to forgive others always corresponds with some inability to receive forgiveness and God's mercy. And that's, uh, that's something that we see. It doesn't matter. I mean, there are some great resources. There's some psychological work that's been done by Rick Fitzgibbons and Robert Enright. Uh, so Robert uh, Enright and Fitzgibbons on forgiveness therapy. That's actually something that's been um, vetted and approved through the APA. It's, you know, peer-reviewed journal articles and different things on forgiveness therapy. And through that lens, part of it, it, part of it necessitates um, looking at places that one has not forgiven oneself and, and still is kind of keeping oneself on the hook. And so it's, it's, uh, it's a necessary part of the process to forgive others to realize the ways that I've needed to be forgiven in my life. And the only way we can really give mercy is to have gone through the experience of receiving mercy. And so even psychologically, looking at it through that lens, you'll come up with that answer. And uh, Pope Francis says the same thing in Amoris Laetitia in chapter four. He talks about, um, I know it's, it's, it's maybe a little bit odd to talk about anything other than a footnote of chapter eight with Amoris Laetitia, <laughs> but there's actually some other stuff in there that's actually pretty good. And in chapter four, he talks about the same thing, that if we, if we can receive the mercy of God, then we can give it. And if we have trouble giving it, then we're probably not receiving it in some way. And so there's that, that pro and this is actually part of uh, mindfulness as well. Um, and and one, of the, one of the modules of one of the later weeks is specifically on the mercy of God and learning how to receive it first. And so, you know, once we go through that process of, of experiencing true forgiveness and true mercy uh, for ourselves from God and then from ourselves towards ourselves, then it becomes much easier to see how it makes sense to give it to somebody else. And, and usually that block is, is directly related. Mm. You know, the three of us have uh, spent some time uh, who are, who are the, uh, on the podcast regularly. We've talked about making ourselves reservoirs of God's love. Right, and reservoirs of God's mercy. And that's really what you're, what you're reminding us there, that uh, if you want to forgive— we have to become a reservoir of God's mercy. How and how can we ever forgive others unless we have bathed ourselves in His forgiveness, in His mercy, and then it just overflows to us? So I, I think that's uh, that's very insightful uh, on your part. Um, now, those of us that are in ministry, we we don't have a psychological degree as as you might have, and that sort of thing, and yet we're we're thrust into this role oftentimes of helping people. To forgive. So, how would you? Uh, any practical advice on, on on how those of us in ministry can help people work through forgiveness? I mean, you've kind of already given us an outline there, but um, um, anything else come to mind? Well, I think I think directly leading those you minister to to spend the time to look deep into their heart at the ways they don't forgive themselves um, could be really effective. And so you just, you, talk, you know, we talk a lot about narratives in, in psychology, sort of what's the story that you're telling yourself. And if you think about the kinds of automatic thinking that you go through during the day that you experience, 
you know, where are the areas that you beat yourself up? Where are the, what are the times that you say, there I go again, or did it again? You know, I'll never get this right. You know, the, that kind of tone that we have towards ourself, and it might not be those specific things, but there's probably others. Um, there, there are layers there of something that we're holding over our own heads. And, and again, that is the place that we need to receive God's mercy and, and, and accept it, which is the same to say, give it to ourselves. And so in, in going through that process, that unlocks the door or removes the roadblock a lot more efficiently than trying to pound through the rock and say, don't you know that this person deserves the mercy? Don't you know? listen to the Our Father, you know, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. You know, sometimes I think we can have this sort of Jansenistic kind of view of, you know, putting the, the wrong step first. And, and it's like, well, you're only going to be forgiven if you forgive others. Well, I, through a certain lens, I, I, I understand where that's coming from. But psychologically, and I think spiritually, the first step has to be receiving the forgiveness of God to even open up that path to, of possibility. You know, you talked about that self-talk. I mean, wow, I, I really like that, even just to being able to uh, just observe and analyze the way in which we even talk to ourselves, which makes a lot of sense. We don't even realize it. That, that's a huge little revelation for all of us to be able to look and say, wow, listen to even listen to how you're talking to yourself and how you talk to yourself is what you believe absolutely um, about who you are and who God is. Um, what a great, just simple tool to, to help us. Um, and all these practical things are, are, are helpful. Um, but what about those, Dr. Greg, who I, you know, I think many times people in, in our, in our communities and our parishes who really are suffering psychologically can be written off or misunderstood. And what a great uh, travesty that is. And the cross that these people carry is great. There was a young lady in our community. uh, Two and a half weeks ago, she uh, committed suicide. A 17-year-old girl who just battled mental illness. Um, Wonderful young lady. Um, uh, but, uh, she, she just, she struggled with mental illness. Uh, she was adopted from China and had a very, very difficult childhood and then was adopted by a family when she was 10 years old. So there was a lot of psychological damage before that. Um, when she was confirmed, she took the patron saint of St. Dymphna, uh, which was beautiful, who is, you know, the patron saint of those with mental illness. So she recognized this about herself. And her father, God bless him, at the eulogy, he he read a letter that she wrote to her brother the week prior, uh, who was going to be confirmed. And uh, she wrote to him about uh, the crosses that she bared, and she, she was telling him how he needs to trust in Christ and be joyful, and all the beautiful things that you'd be like, wow, this girl is in love with Jesus. She is just on fire with the Lord, and she trusts in, in God, and yet... She had these deep psychological demons inside of her as well that nobody could understand. And to think that she would have uh, gone to the point of killing herself, I, I, that's just sort of a can of worms. I don't know where to go with it other than to just get your comments on uh, the reality of people who really do struggle with with mental illness, which may be foreign to many of us who think, well, I got my act together. Those who don't, they just, you know, they just got to pull themselves together. And here's a young lady through no fault of her own 
um, was really um, uh, went through a lot of, of challenges and travesties at an early age. Gosh, wow, that's so that's 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 really so tragic. Mm. Mm. Uh, how, how do we help people like this? Uh, how, um, how, how do we understand them? I think that we as a church culturally uh, really suffer from a, a real dualistic, uh, you know, way of thinking. And mental health is something that gets such uh, minimal treatment and is so, it's, it's, it's really disregarded. And, and where, you know, and the desolations that this poor girl suffered, even to just chalk it all up and say, well, she suffered from mental illness. Well, that's a neat box. It's a nice little box to put it into. And then we can feel safe because we don't, you know, we leave that to the experts. But it's, it's not up to the experts. It's up to our church as a whole to go deeper in understanding suffering at that level. And to, to be able to unpack what desolation is. And it's not even, it, it's not that it should even be a cultural shift. Uh, it's not about fads. It's not about psychology as a field. It's a return to true human anthropology. And something that we need more of, for instance, is the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. Because it talks about paying attention to the movements of your feelings and your heart. Your emotional life is important and it needs to be it needs to be analyzed it needs to be understood we need to look at the ways that god is speaking to us through our emotional life or the ways that the evils of the world or spiritual realities are speaking to us mm. and as saint ignatius teaches you know desolations come from the effects of our own sin from the evil of the world, so other people's sin. So, for instance, these attachment issues that you bring up, whatever the situation was that led to her needing to be adopted, obviously there are, these are things that are outside of God's plan. So then that leads to a kind of desolation that we can label psychological if we want to be neat about it, nice and neat about it. Uh, but that's a kind of des uh, desolation, as well as then opening the door to uh, a deeper wound and vulnerability to the spiritual attacks that come through those doors. And, and this is this is a full expression of the human experience. But we need to really look at these opportunities as invitations to um, to grow in in uh, in our education and and doing something about it. You know, we saw this with like Robin Williams when he killed himself. You know, there was like this little push. And then it's like any other media that just, you know, kind of pops up and then disappears and we stop talking about it. But we need to actually do something about it. And that's part of the Ignatian exercises. We, we evaluate through our examine a desolation and ask ourselves, what is God inviting us to reject from a desolation or to invite more of or accept more of from a consolation? So if this is a desolation, we're, we're being invited here to reject the complacency that allowed for this situation to occur. Mm -hmm. And we're being invited to reject the, you know, the, the, the discomfort, the, the need to stay away from this discomfort and really you know, being invited deeper into it. You know, you talk, uh, what you're saying, I, I think of this, the family who adopted her so much as a, 
as a an icon of the of the response that we need to have. You know, this family, they're living the joy, the sorrow, uh, you know, all, all of the aspects of life, and they, like life must go on, and and we 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 make this part of ourselves, and we're not afraid to talk about it and share it, and and love one another. I'm not sure if I'm making sense, but just to what you're talking about this. You know, as, as a church, we need to embrace this and understand it and, and be with these people. And this is a, a family, a Catholic family that really tries to emulate that and all that they do. So that's really beautiful. It sounds mm. it sounds amazing. And it's, you know, kind of speaks to even the larger problem of of, of you know, the need that we have for each other or the, the larger reality, I guess. This is such a great conversation and necessity, I think, in the church. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to hear from um, our producer, Marisa, who has a question for Dr. Greg. So stay with us. Hi, I'm Father Mike Schmitz, and I want to invite you to join me at the National Catholic Bible Conference this coming May, May 5th through the 7th in Houston, Texas. At the conference, you will hear from an amazing lineup of presenters who will help you grow in your faith and your understanding of the Bible, including Jeff Cavins, Dr. Michael Barber, Sarah Chris Meyer, Thomas Smith, and Dr. Ed Sree. To learn more and to register, go to catholicbibleconference.com. I hope to see you there. And we're back. All right, Marisa, you're on. Thanks, Alan. I don't normally let myself chime in here, but I have a question that I really would like to ask. Have you ever seen kind of a phenomenon where there's um, almost such a fear of medicine that instead of maybe referring somebody to actually speak to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, somebody in ministry says, okay, we'll just pray it away. And really what you need to do is just, you you need to go to confession, you need to go to spiritual direction, and God just has to come in and heal this. And if you're not healed, it's because you're not letting him heal you. Um, When, you know, some people really seem like they respond to medication, and that allows them to then receive um, God's mercy and God's forgiveness in in a different way. And I've witnessed this with, with really close friends and really close family members, um, where there was a you know medication that seemed to to allow for some healing where where do we say okay um yeah i i'm really glad that you shared this with me i'm going to pray with you about it and um i'm going to refer you to somebody who i think is going to help you yeah it's a great question it's a huge issue um, again, I think it comes from this her- this this Cartesian heresy in the church and in the world. Um, it's a, it's really a false dichotomy to set up. And people ask me this question all the time: of you know, do you think this is a spiritual issue or do you think this is a psychological issue? Like, does this something that needs spiritual direction or does this need a psychologist? And the answer is every time, as long as we're talking about a human person, both. <laughs> It's never going to be one instead of the other, because we're always a union of body and spirit, and then the interplay between the two can be seen in the emotional life. So, uh, yes, absolutely, I see this this bias and prejudice uh, a lot of times in the church um, about approaching difficulties from a psychological or even medical perspective. And I think that's dangerous. It's not only dangerous, it's heretical. Uh, and so 
if you're coming at it from a from a health perspective, it's just flat out dangerous. If you're coming from a faith perspective, you're a heretic. And you know, either way, it's this this mindset needs to be abandoned, and you need to seek further education if that's where you're at. Um, Don't hold back, Doctor. Just just be straightforward. I, look at, I, I just have to say it as it is. This is my chance, right? Yeah, no, bring it. We love it. He, he, he has I, you know, a lot of trouble telling us what he thinks. But. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, and I, so I hear this all the time and, and it, you know, you have, it, it gets to be really problematic with like, you know, these communities that are popping up online, you have blogs, you have followings, you have people with opinions, you have people that learn how to hit, you know, certain clickbait goals and they have, you know, it, it's a lot of inflammatory um, material and so you have, you know, everything from like, you know, all vaccinations are evil and you're killing your kids, you know, on one extreme, you know, to, I mean, I just go on and on. There's, there's gotta be balance here. And so to just kind of return back to the actual question, I think you have to see the person as the union of body and spirit and a composite of what we can call psychological, what we can call spiritual, what we can call emotional. It's always all present. And the goals should be to relieve suffering. We have an understanding of redemptive suffering in the church, yes. And we, we, it's beautiful. And we can turn every evil into good. And God allows for, and uh, one of my favorite saints is uh, now St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. And she, she wrote that God allows for evil and pain and suffering to be used, and God allows for sin to be used for our advantage. So that's awesome. We can turn everything upside down that happens that's wrong and evil. But we should still be trying to avoid suffering. It's still a good thing. And in Christ himself, in Hebrews it says, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. He didn't endure suffering for suffering's sake. It was because of the greater joy that comes later. So we're trying to seek joy and, and peace and happiness and the alleviation of suffering, accepting that we have to go through some amount of suffering on the way there. So we take a person who's suffering and we say a proper analysis of this, which is any kind of science that's founded on a proper anthropology, says this human person in front of me has a spiritual dimension, has a psychological, emotional dimension, has a physical dimension. I'm going to evaluate where they line up according to a model of health on those three dimensions, and I'm going to figure out where to apply my efforts first. So there might be a radical biochemical deficiency because of some kind of thyroid disease that's creating havoc in their hormones and their and imbalances in their hormone system. We need some kind of medicine here. We need a, a medicinal biological approach to, to fix that. We might realize, okay, there's nothing in the thyroid that's all wrong, and we have a mindset and a mentality that's totally off. And this is connected to, you know, some wound they received as a child and some, some issues they need to work through from their family of origin. Okay, we need a psychological approach first and foremost. Or we might see this person is living a totally immoral life and they're, you know, sleeping around and they're totally empty and they feel miserable and, you know, we need to send them to a good priest. They need a good spiritual kick in the butt and a good retreat or whatever. And that's the first and foremost approach that we need to take. And, and none of those three approaches are the other two negated. 
It's saying if we're if we're a helper, if we're a minister, if we're the one that they're coming to for our professional advice, you know, and we need to have a, a robust understanding of at least the potential for all three of those paths towards healing, and then try to figure out which one to start with. But as a psychologist, I work with exorcists, I work with spiritual directors, and I work with psychiatrists and and physicians, and I would not be. Uh, an ethical or moral psychologist if I didn't, because I would be pretending to, to do something that I don't actually know how to do, which is to treat the human person. And I would say that any doctor that doesn't understand the other dimensions of the human person, any priest, spiritual director, or exorcist that doesn't understand the other dimensions of the human person are, un, are practicing unethically. If you were holding a microphone, it would be very appropriate to drop it right now. <laughs> Walk straight out of the room. I, I, I'm going to, that, that's my watered down version. <laughs> I know we're going kind of long on time, but this is so good. And I have one more question that's related to this that I think I'm hoping somebody out there has the same question. And that is, that is this, it, as people in ministry, as, especially like youth ministers, but I guess it's applicable for adult faith formation as well, but there are more youth retreats happening than adult retreats. So in campus ministry, young adult ministry, um, youth ministry, we, we try to create an environment where we can take teens to a place where they feel safe enough to begin to share from the heart and begin to share and be real with um, their small group. And in some places, Colin can probably speak to this too, we, we encounter churches where they've no longer allow teens to go on retreat because they've come back with so many with some things that have been, um, you know, cans that have been opened and and wounds that have been opened, and and so the the pastor or the people, the parish council has kind of put the kibosh on retreats because they don't want people to to go away and then come back with these, um, you know, exposed traumas and wounds that, that the people that are on the retreat are not capable to facilitate, which is a valid, which is a valid um, issue. However, you know, we work hard to try and create environments where they can. Where they feel safe to share, but obviously we're not um, as qualified as you are. We had like you know thirty of you; it'd be great. But generally, what advice could you give them to handle those situations, and where should we take them? Yeah, no, it's great. It's a huge mm -hmm. problem, and I think it, it speaks to a larger question too. Of you know, I priests talk about uh, you know facing this kind of thing in the confessional. You know, what how to know what to do with it, and just overall, you know, I I think. I don't, I don't want there to be a sense of there being this kind of like, you know, esoteric, uh, you know, sort of mystique surrounding, you know, the expertise in the field of psychology. And so, you know, I think, I think a lot of times it's important to recognize that with a really good anthropology, with some good philosophy, with just a deepening of your understanding of the human person, you can do a lot. And I don't mean getting in there and doing the nitty gritty detailed you know, brain surgery of psychology. But I'm saying at least knowing where there's an issue that needs to be referred out, it's very uh, possible and, and I wouldn't say easy, but it takes a little bit of work, but it's definitely reasonable to expect people in ministry to be trained in how to do screening for, for instance, levels of depression that uh, look like they could be suicidal, you know, or... Um, levels of anxiety that are life crippling, you know, and, and really require a referral out to a professional. 
or a priest to know what to deal with, you know, uh, certain sins of addiction in the confessional that require a professional referral to, to really work through something that's a legitimate brain disease of addiction. Um, and, and I would say at the same time for, for people, and especially youth ministry, coming back to the actual question, you know, to, to learn how to give a talk and, and to couch and nuance things that they're saying that reverences that possibility that there could be somebody really triggered and un- unraveled by what's being said. And I don't mean what's, you know, all of a sudden now popular with like trigger warnings and, you know, microaggressions and all this other nonsense that's on like college campuses. But I, but there is something to be said for maintaining a sense of reverence for the depths of, of suffering that can occur in a person's heart, you know, in the way that a, a, an issue is brought up or a topic is presented. And, and I don't think that's too much to ask. I think that's pretty reasonable. So first, for that priest or for, for that group or whatever that decides to not do this retreat anymore, I think that's responsible. I think that's a, that's a, a healthy recognition of a lack of that training and sophistication that we currently have right now in our parish. And that's great. But then what are you going to do about it? You know, that's, that's what the important next step is, is to recognize, well, we have a responsibility then to shore up, you know, our ability to, to do this kind of thing, to get, you know, access to some more resources, to get some training, to learn how to present things in a way that doesn't have kids you know, totally unraveled and uh, and all over the place, or you know, to have people in place that can do a, a simple screening, figure out where we need to get more help, those kinds of things. I think that I think that should be a reasonable expectation for a parish community. Hmm. Good. And I just want to like listen to this podcast over and over again. This is like such good yeah. stuff coming out of here. Um, all right, so we're going to wrap right up for today. Um, thank you again, Dr. Greg, for joining us. This was such a, a necessary conversation, I think, that we needed to have and will be will bear much fruit, I think, in the church. So thank you for your time. If people want to find your program, they can find it at catholicmindfulness.com. If you want to leave us a comment in the show notes, you can find us at ascensionpresents.com slash podcast or send us an email at ascensionroundtable at ascensionpress.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Pray for us. We're praying for you, and we'll see you next time. Peace.